Some years ago, an older middle-aged man sat in my office reporting a lifetime series of failed relationships with his several wives, children, business partners. He had lived life to the fullest, he said, made a whole mountain of money, and though he should probably feel more guilt than he did, he wasn't entirely displeased with what he had experienced. Interesting experience, after all, is what gave zest to his life. He loved the freedom to do whatever he pleased, whenever he pleased. He was something of a modern libertine. So then what should we talk about, I asked. With that, he fell silent for a moment, eventually saying that annoying emptiness had crept up on him over the last months. Among other things, he realized he wanted a relationship with his children who wanted nothing to do with him. Of course, he'd been absent for much of their lives. While he had many other sorts of relationships, he realized none of them deeply mattered all that much, and he felt adrift despite his wealth. Maybe it was a kind of midlife crisis he offered, but of an opposite variety from what we normally hear about, like some middle-aged guy acting out, stepping out of a rut in some big-time way. <laughs> With a smirking laugh, he said, the thing is, he'd been acting out his whole life. What brought him to my office was a kind of awakening, or, well, he was hard-pressed to say just what exactly had whomped him on the side of the head. A month or two earlier, he awoke with a start in the middle of the night with two words in his mind, come home. They still felt as fresh today as they did that morning. He didn't remember anything else he had dreamt, just those two words. Often walking by this church on his way to work, he stepped through the doors several weeks earlier and sat down. He hadn't consciously connected any dots to cause this short step from the sidewalk to sanctuary, just a spontaneous decision. But here's where it got a little silly, he added. He couldn't remember the last time he had been in a church. Long ago, he'd thrown off any sort of interest in religion, thought it was all mostly a lot of baloney, and anyway, would likely interfere with the sort of life he wanted. And like he said, it wasn't that he was feeling especially guilty, just empty, really empty and teary. Now that, that really shocked him. He reported that when he sat down in here and looked around, his eyes welled up with tears. Something like that had never happened before. He rarely cried, couldn't remember the last time. Tears weren't part of his normal experience, but, but somehow they linked up with that short phrase, come home, which at that moment clobbered him with a headache. For the next several mornings, he stepped into this space and then, on the following Sunday, made a completely counterintuitive decision for him to attend a worship service. He was stunned when the message that morning was all about our finding our true home. He said that in the sermon, I even mentioned that many who stuck around this place reported how they felt at home here when first, first crossing the threshold. That's the track that brought him to my office. 
You know, over the years, stories like this have kept me very humble and alert to the fact that I'm at my best when I recognize God is already three steps ahead of where I might think I am. Here's another thing. I wasn't initially sure how to take this guy, and I, I told him so. I was intrigued and sort of blown away by his story, which seemed completely guileless. That was the challenge. By his own admission, this was a man who was normally full of guile, but through his recent experience had been disarmed. He wouldn't have come to speak with me, an anonymous minister, if this disarmament hadn't taken place. And I've learned over the years that when this sort of disarmament happens, I need to disarm as well. I must let go of my judgments. Fact is, disarmament is an essential spiritual discipline if we seek to have an honest relationship with God or, or anyone else for that matter. It's hard to say what makes someone open up to a truth that's larger than they've known. What cracks them open? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been cracked open with a rush of a new truth, a new awareness? One of the things that's acknowledged, I suppose, is that there actually is a truth that's larger than I've been aware of. I know from personal experience and reasoning my way through our tradition and scriptures that there is a truth larger than what I know, that this truth should be spelled with a capital T, and that the best language we have for this truth is spiritual language, language that reaches beyond simple material experience. And I've discovered that our scriptures remain relentlessly valuable in helping us unlock the meanings of our lives, even in the 21st century. Take the story of Zacchaeus you just heard. We read about a certain rich man, a chief tax collector. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and Zacchaeus wanted to catch a glimpse of him. Now in Roman times, tax collecting was rented out to the highest bidder who could extort whatever he could from the general populace. As a Roman lackey and a greedy profiteer, Zacchaeus was a much despised man, as well as, evidently, too short to see over the crowds gathered to see Jesus enter Jericho. He might have been pelted with stones had he tried to approach the crowd following Jesus. But Zacchaeus just climbed the tree so he could have a better vantage point to see Jesus as he passed by. Was he becoming vaguely conscious of the deep loneliness his profession had created? Did he have the faintest beginnings of a guilty conscience? Or was he simply feeling empty, though he was very rich? Zacchaeus was captured by the moment and uncharacteristically guileless. Yet this was a man who was normally full of guile. I'm thinking that this desire to meet Jesus disarmed him, and he wouldn't have received Jesus into his home if this disarmament hadn't taken place. For his part, Jesus saw a man awakening to a truth he hadn't acknowledged before. So Jesus invited himself to the man's house for a meal. Interesting, isn't it? How the idea of home comes into play here. In effect, 
Jesus made a home with this man that everyone else reviled. We're told this encounter shook Zacchaeus into a grace-filled response. In the excitement of what had happened to him, he promised to be more than generous and repay many times over whatever he had taken by fraud. And Jesus praised him as a son of Abraham, the Jewish ideal of a faithful servant of God. In other words, Zacchaeus came home, as it were, and his life took on a very different character. We might say he had a reverse midlife crisis. I'll leave it to you to discern how this might touch your own life. And since we're in our season of inviting your generosity and funding our vision for the years ahead, I'll leave it to you to consider how or, or if generosity defines your life. You know, putting this message together this week, I was reminded how countercultural our life together here can seem in this city and yet how profoundly relevant and necessary, how inspiring it is and elevating, especially in a cultural season that is the very opposite. Coming home here means coming home to what's best about our humanity, coming home to hope and gratitude and love. After wandering around on some alternate path, Zacchaeus climbed a tree and ultimately found his way home. Now, if we're honest, surely all of us know something about this wandering around bit. We've all had our version of the journey home that continues into the present moment like the guy that showed up in my office wanting conversation. Eventually, he focused on re-engaging with his children. He had to be patient and open, disarmed, required adapting a different set of priorities, and, and he met with some success before an untimely heart attack. And I've always thought the work he did with his kids was excellent preparation for the homecoming he finally received. <laughs>